Live from the Southern Air Temple, this is Derailed Trains of Thought. Tim, this is a kind of nice, sunny, um, It's breezy. back to be back on Earth, to be honest, after it, all those last few episodes in space. Is this Earth? Well, I'm not sure. There's I mean, we're looking at animals around yeah. here. Like, every seems, everything seems to be a mixture of two different animals. It's like we're in, I don't know, Camaraland or something. I know. I mean, it's, it's very it's very nice with the mountain. You know, we're just really high up. Mm-hmm. A nice, cool breeze. High clouds altitude. everywhere. Yeah. This nice, ruinous. Not ruinous, but ruined temple. Yeah, uh, I wonder how old it is. Well, it looks like it's been deserted for at least a hundred years. But I like places we can explore, and not feel an overwhelming sense of like ominous, like something's <laughs> going to go happen. Yeah, we're not closed in for a change. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So this is good. This is good, especially for uh, the beginning of summer. You know, that's always it's nice to be outdoors and enjoy the nice weather. Yeah, exactly. So we're ready to tackle yet another story school. We could just do school outside today. Yes. <laughs> this is very nice. We'll just sit in the sun and talk mm-hmm. about um, Enjoy a, this common, nice breeze. a common um, story idea. Yes. Trope even. Trope, which is appropriate since that's what we did last time. Yes. Yeah, so we're going to tackle the chosen one. The chosen one. And things related. Like fate and uh, destiny, destiny and all prophecies. That kind of stuff. And, yeah. So what do you think, Nick? Is this a, a story trend you enjoy or do you think this is one that kind of gets overdone? <sighs> Both, a little bit of both. Well, because here's the thing: when done well, it's a nice thing. It's it's enjoyable, but it is done a lot. It is done a lot, and sometimes it's done in a very perfunctory, perfunctory way, uh-huh. where it's just like, I'm the savior. I should save stuff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, once upon a time, tries to do it. Sometimes, I, sometimes they just kind of ignore it until yeah. it becomes like convenient. Season, <laughs> well, season one, they do it good, and then. The aftermath of the chosen one. But anyways, okay, let's define the chosen one first before we start. Mm-hmm. In the narrowest sense, is basically a person who is destined to rescue, save, liberate, stop something. Usually through some sort of prophecy, I imagine. Like people knew they were coming or they were only one of a kind. Or, yeah. Yeah. Well, either that, either it's through a prophecy or it's the inheritance thing. Like you are the you're the only son of this deceased king, so it must be you. So you are the phantom now. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's different, you know, because you can then, you know, there's a lot of times where you have a protagonist who has just the right skills and then he becomes kind of the only one who can do things. Mm-hmm. But I don't I think maybe for the sake of this discussion, we won't include that. I mean, they almost like become the chosen one just because of circumstances. Do we want to include that? Well, what by do you mean they just have the only ones who have the skills? You mean like MacGyver or? Well, like, um, <laughs> I know they have a special knowledge or they were born with some special or they're just in the right place at the right time. And then they become. Oh, and, and so then everyone's like, aha, you've met these certain criteria. So that must mean it's you. Or like, or like, say, uh, Sheridan in Valon 5, you know, he kind of becomes. A chosen one, but he wasn't like prophesied or anything like that. But That's he just true. is in the right place, right time, right characteristics. He becomes a leader. He becomes the protagonist, basically. Right. Yeah. No, I, I don't think for purposes of our discussion, I don't think we have to limit it to just the prophecy type stuff because the core ideas of being chosen or being the one, you know, destiny is kind of a, is kind of a fickle thing. Yeah. But a lot of some of those same ideas can come about or can be recognized through a variety of ways. But first off, I, maybe it would be helpful to list off some of the most famous okay. uh, chosen people. Good, yeah. yeah um, Anakin Skywalker. You were the chosen one. <laughs> um, in some ways, Luke kind of follows his footsteps in that sense. You know, he becomes the new hope. Except he wasn't really prophesied or anything. He, I mean, he's almost your second version. Like, yeah. he, he just inherits... To position. Yeah. It's like Obi-Wan and Yoda kind of depend on him because they're like, we need another Skywalker to take out. We need another. And we fo- don't care about Leia for some reason. <laughs> so, Well, you know, just sexism. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> we have Aang from Last Airbender, mm-hmm. who he wakes up and he's like, oh, I'm the last one. I should do. Well, and not only is he the last Airbender, so he kind of falls to him in that way, but the Avatar is kind of this 
title that's passed on through reincarnation. Yeah. Which, you know, it's a very Eastern kind of show, so mythology. Yeah. Lego movie? Like no, movie? I don't know if that counts, actually, but <laughs> it's more of a deconstruction of... The, you're the special. I'm the special. <laughs> We're all the special. <laughs> um, Wheel of Time very much has this, the dragon reborn. You know, the dragon exists a thousand years ago. Someone's going to be reborn as this person who will break the world and save it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, well, and I'm it, taking your word on that. Yeah. <laughs> and it, and does, it plays a lot with the, how do I even, if I have to deal with being the savior of the world, how do I deal with the pressure that comes with? Mm. Which Last Airbender kind of goes into some of that too. Like, yeah. I remember someone pointing out that... Uh, there's the episode where they do a flashback about how Aang finds out that he is the Avatar. Okay. And um, his closest mentor doesn't want to tell him yet because he thinks it's too soon and he's too young that, to handle yeah. all the pressure. And others like, no, we got, there's crisis going on. He needs to know about this now and all that sort of thing. And so it, it does put a lot of pressure on a 12-year-old boy. Yeah. And it's interesting to see him play with that. But in contrast, I remember watching Nostalgia Critic, an online uh, reviewer, talk about The Secret of Nim 2. Okay. Which, yeah, they made like a directed video I, sequel for I've that. heard of it, but I'm not watching it. But I guess that there's one where like the, it's the son of Mrs. Frisbee or whatever, okay. and they, they do a whole chosen one thing with him, and it just kind of swells him up, and he doesn't really accomplish all that much by the end of the movie, apparently. So it was like that, you know, that's kind of a classic example of the wrong way to do a chosen one. And you asked something about this on uh, Twitter right before we recorded, right? Yes, a favorite, um, you know, there's people's best or worst examples of The Chosen One. And I got, well, my brother responded because he, I don't have a lot of total fo- followers that like look pay myself attention. a lot, pay attention. <laughs> um, he says his favorite version of The Chosen One is Harry Potter. Okay. He's a very big Harry Potter fan. Um, and, that, and they play that, you know, very interestingly because The Chosen One often, you know, in that case is uh, very similar to... The dark lord, you know, the evil person. Mm. You know, there's all that those similarities and that Contrast happened a lot. And, yeah. yeah. Um, and then his worst is a uh, Battlestar Galactica, which I didn't even know there was a. Chosen oh, well, you one know, when thing you first said that, show. I'm like, what? But there is this. What's his name? Baltar? Is that right? I'm I'm missing a syllable somewhere. I think. But he he has this vision all the time from the lady in red. I don't know if you've ever seen in the previews. Mm. You know, like here's what you should do, and he's led, and all this other stuff. There's this prophecy of. Yeah, there is some of that, and it's very unsatisfying, just sort of like hand waving by the end. Oh, okay. Um, and then our friend Keith said he he didn't have favor worse, but he did say that there's a book apparently. I should have brought my iPad down. But it has the name about the neighbor to the chosen one. Basically, people who just live <laughs> next to him. And uh-huh. <laughs> I'll have to go find the title before at, at our music break. And it is a very divisive trope, I think, a lot of times, because you get some people, like, and I've heard this debate regarding, um, what's her name, from Force Awakens. Oh, Ray. Ray, yes. I wanted to call her Ren or something. That's that's, that's not right. Ray Ayunami. <laughs> Ray, yeah, because some people, I mean, my perspective, it seems pretty obvious to me that she's has Skywalker blood in her yeah. somehow. But there's I've I've seen some people online who really don't want that to be the case that they're kind of tired of the, like this inheritance thing or that you know would rather just have it be some random person who's also really strong in the force. Yeah. And I sort of get this, you know, there's not very many of us are given this like grand destiny um, at least in terms of like a savior complex. Yeah. Almost people want it more anyone could be the chosen one. I mean, like a movie. Yeah. Um, I think one pe- reason people like the chosen one idea is that many times when it's done well, it's, uh, just a normal person who suddenly gets thrown into a world way bigger than they are and they, they grow into a great thing. And I think the idea was anyone could become, you know, it's just the every man who happens to be given this thing mm-hmm. as a, you know, that's why they don't want Ray to have it because now it's become so like, oh, now they're just special. But I don't think that was how it was originally conceived you know the word is conceived just like you know it's just you're you're going around you live in your little village and then suddenly it's drama it's like what i'm i'm actually a princess or you know not me but um <laughs> um or you know oh wait what my father was you know it's like So-and-so, it's like yeah. revelations it's like we're, we're reading about these people who live lives you know simple like ours and then suddenly they were brought into this whole conflict of things. And I think when done well, it just ha- it, it, it tries to pull that, hey, we start where everyone per- person is and mm-hmm. then bring you into this larger world as opposed to just being stories about great knights and stuff that we don't have any 
sure. connection with. That's an interesting point, yeah, because, like, so the idea is is kind of the same. Like, it's still the the common person you can identify with. It's just now it's not only that you're just the common person. It's like you're a special common person. I mean, at least that's the original yeah, intent. And, but- and, 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 you know, as a reader, you're identifying with their protagonist. So it's like you're coming along with this person who's entering this new world. And, you know, it's a way of... And it makes it's a nice it's a nice sort of hero's journey sort of mm-hmm. deal. I mean that's what the chosen one the heroes. Now again, you can overplay the prophecy or overplay the right. you know you're so super special and no one else can do it. And, and then the problem with that sometimes is that they just have special things, but there's no good reason. Right. You know, it just seems arbitrary. You're a special one, therefore you can do cool things, but it doesn't it doesn't play into your character. It doesn't play into your. You know, it just like it just is. Yeah, or that's I guess that's where the term Gary Sue or Mary Sue comes from, where you just have this super awesome protagonist that is awesome because the author likes this character yeah. or is trying to self put their own person inside their own story or whatever. Like I think that was the satisfying thing, or what I understand, like the first Matrix movie, chosen one, Neo, you're the chosen one, you can do all this stuff, and it's this just this grunt, and uh-huh. but. It gets lost somewhere. Again, I don't know if I've even seen the third Matrix movie, but then you're just like, wait, you know. <laughs> they, they build in all kinds of... I don't remember if it's just the Chosen One being thing being a problem. I just remember there being... Too much. Lots <laughs> of information, and it gets very complicated, and the, you kind of lose story progress at some yeah. point in the sequels, if I remember right. You know, and it's it's interesting, you know, from a real world perspective, at least from a Christian worldview, you know, we do believe that God calls people to do certain things. Yeah. I think God gives us a lot of flexibility in where, where we live our lives, but, you know, free will, obviously. Yeah. But I also think that we're kind of created to do a role. Yeah. And so, you know, that kind of fits in well with, again, going with like chosen one, like the set apart person, that may be kind of overdone. I mean, in the best sense of it, it's trying to imitate a uh, Messiah type yeah. figure. King Arthur. Yeah. I mean, I mean, he just some guy, and then he goes and pulls a store out of stone, and then he becomes, you know, he leads a country. You know, it's kind of David. Yeah. You know, basically true, from the yeah. Bible. You know, I'm just a shepherd. I just do my thing. You're anointed. Oh, you're the chosen one now. Uh-huh. Um, and then, <laughs> but the the interesting parts always is how do you act out being chosen? Mm. Yes, And I think that's what's interesting about The Chosen One. It's not so much that... I think the problem with The Chosen One, another problem is that it becomes shorthand sometimes where they could do cool stuff. Uh-huh. And they, you know, you have their train montage and suddenly you do crazy action scenes, whatever. But the, the best thing, you know, the best version is like, well, what do you do with being chosen? Mm-hmm. Do you live up to it? Do you, do, do you serve people right? Or do you just take it to your head? You know, one of the good things I think you could say about Anakin is that is the examination of, okay, you're the chosen one, but that doesn't mean you're going to... When? Yeah. <laughs> Apparently, I'm in the middle of this Mistborn, the first Mistborn book, and I haven't, there's going to be revelations stuff I don't understand, but the selling point on the front of the book is what if the Dark One won? Oh. And I, again, if you read it, I don't, I have not, I'm not very far, but right now it's the whole, everything's oppressed and you, you keep having snippets of like this person who was supposed to be the hero of the ages, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he just went bad. Or he failed or something. Oh, interesting. Um, then you live in that world now. Again, that's guesses. But uh-huh. the whole concept of this is that basically the chosen one didn't work out right. Uh-huh. <laughs> now, see, now, see, that's an interesting concept. I mean, the concept by itself is not a problem if you're doing interesting things with it, if it's in service to your story. But I, I think a lot of ways that authors kind of fall into this hole of doing, if not just chosen one, but the whole prophecies and yeah. fate and all this kind of stuff. I think it sort of can be a pitfall for writers because we have the whole story in our heads. You kind yeah. of know what's going to happen. Yeah. So it's very easy, I think, to give it kind of a veneer of epicness by throwing in these prophecies yeah. and saying all this stuff when... I mean, if that's what your story is about, if if you're very purposely going for, you know, that feel, that genre of, you know, Tolkien talked a lot about, like, not fate so much, but, you know, being part of a big, of something Providence, bigger. basically. Yeah, Providence. Yeah, you know, like, Bilbo, you didn't really think that all the story, <laughs> stories and songs came true just because of you, did you? <laughs> um, you know, and if that's part of your theme, cool. But if you're just using those ideas as, like, kind of a quick cool old timey factor yeah. then you're gonna have like, problems and now i don't have to make a story because he's a chosen so i don't have, don't have to explain you know and prophecy is often done badly yeah prophecy is often done almost just to add weight to a character even though 
you don't care about the prophecy and it just is sort of like a whatever. I mean, if you're going to go to the trouble to have prophecies and all this stuff, you better make sure that your general story is pretty big in scope. Yeah. Like, it's not just going to be, oh, and we saved the status quo. <laughs> we maintain the status yeah. quo. And it's like, no, you better have some earth-shattering stuff if you're like, going to have prophecies sometime, going on. You get this sometimes from, like, your sort of uh, B-level, like, action adventure films. Like, I can't remember if, it ha- if there's actually a prophecy, but, you know, things like um, Prince of Persia, you know, those were a feel of movies where, yeah, yeah. like, you're important, you're the chosen one, you're the one can help us, and then it's just sort of a normal, you know, Zorro sort of movie. Right. <laughs> and you're like... And, and, like, they didn't do anything really, they just sort of were there. Yeah. <laughs> they survived. They survived, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's definitely on the bad end of uh, how to do these things. All right, so would you consider Obed your character from from uh, from the unremarkable, unre- squire. unremarkable squire? Yes, would you consider him to be a chosen one? He is, by our definition, a chosen one. Mm-hmm. Again, he's a little bit Bilbo-ish in yeah. the sense that <laughs> he didn't really. And I, I think I enjoy that in the fact that okay, you fulfill prophecies, but it's not because you've been told you must fulfill this prophecy constantly, or mm-hmm. because everyone's expecting of you, just because. You're just doing what you're doing, and then suddenly, oh, wait, you're that guy we've been waiting for. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know? You just kind of fell into it because you, you were doing the right thing. Because you were doing what you're supposed to be doing. You know, where prophecy becomes more of a, it says what's supposed to happen, mm. but it's not, it doesn't become the instigator of what happens. Mm. Yes. Um, and, and again, you can, have the, you can have that interesting when, you, when people have like, here's what I'm supposed to do. How do I fulfill it? You know, be, Will Time has some of that. Like, I know I'm supposed to do this. And so he tries to get done and then things fall together. And there's almost a force of, well, in Will Time, there is this thing called Taveran where there is this force that events just change around you without you doing anything. Mm-hmm. So that can be interesting as well. When is there some Greek myth about a king who tried to change fate by, like, it was prophesied that his son would... Oedipus. Oedipus, yeah, yeah. yeah. He'd take his place, and then so he sent his son away, and then he... They they thought he'd left him to die, but people picked him up, and then grew up, and then he came and killed the king on the road, and then he became king, married the queen, who was his mother, and Oedipus complex then, but... I mean, um, and that kind of stuff is cool. It is cool. It's very much, you know, that, that wrestling with... Can you escape fate? Mm-hmm. You know, that was one of the big plots, you know, and we talked about last time, you know, one of those man nine... Versus, man versus fate, man versus, versus fate. God. I yeah. mean, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. did that one episode where basically the... Oh, yeah, the feature thing. Yeah, where the guy would touch you and show you basically a death, not always your death. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, they're like, can you get out of that? No. <laughs> you know, that was their answer uh, scientifically. Yeah, which is really interesting because... A lot of times we we think in terms of like glimpses of of the future in fiction. We go back to like say a Christmas Carol. Yeah, it was like these are just shadows of of what may be, but in this case it was like no, this is actually the future. The future. Yeah, you can't change it because it's. And what's so fascinating about those things, and we're a little off track from Joe's one, is that we do the future like do future prophecy things like that where you can't get out of it. It's going to happen one way or another. Then what's interesting is seeing the intersection of the character's free choices. And what you know is going to come up, mm-hmm. which sometimes comes off really cheesy. But you're like, no, this is going to happen. And uh, yeah. but when done well, <laughs> right, can be really fascinating stuff. And 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 is a visual representation that everyone understands of this conflict we tend to have, like in religion circles, about predestination and free will. Mm-hmm. I mean, it happens effortlessly in Oedipus Rex. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you can see both sides of the coin right there, and no one's being forced. No one, you know. Yeah. I mean, and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. did it really yeah. well, too, because they were questioning, it was like, can we actually change this? Is there any way to do it? And it's like, well, we're going to try anyway. And, and then just bring Lost and, you know, whatever happened, happened. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, you could do a whole season of it where, you know, hey, I'm Faraday's mom, but I got to kill my son because I know I got to kill my son. Yeah. Some- uh, no, <laughs> and then that's, that's always an interesting story, too, science fiction they do sometimes, where if you know it's supposed to happen, you make it happen. Not mm-hmm. because you want to, but because you feel like, you know, the Doctor Who thing, it's like mm-hmm. Father's Day. You can't change time. Yeah. So you try, you just kind of do it because you feel like you have to or things will break down. And that's way off track. of That's the fate, you know. Yeah. The playing with that sort of stuff, yeah. which is interesting. But going back to the prophecy thing, something what you said earlier about how it, it tends to work best if you fulfill a prophecy, not by purposely doing it, but by just kind of doing what you would do and then... Oh, look what I what happened. Yeah. I mean, that's sword in the stone. That, yeah. I mean, at least in my, the versions I know. Well, and it, it 
strikes me as very true, again, to biblical accounts of prophecy. Yeah. Um, a lot of times, I mean, if you look at a lot of Old Testament prophecies, you would have no way to guess how they would come about yeah. until, like, in the New Testament, and the writer's like, and this fulfilled this prophecy, and you're like, oh. oh. <laughs> you know, prophecies don't really make a whole lot of sense in the moment. It's only, like, yeah. after the fact you realize, oh, yeah. that's what it was talking about. You know what's interesting with the biblical example is that sometimes Jesus goes out of his way to purposely fulfill a prophecy. That's true. He's like, hey, you need to go get this donkey because I need to go into town like that, <laughs> which is interesting. The, that's a the good sort point. of, uh, you know, just kind of saying that's weird sometimes, but. I guess that's true. Even even God's like, I need to fulfill my own promises. I mean, yeah. in that sense, it's, it's like a fulfilling promise. Yes, this is what I'm going to do. Or you have like, you know, the pilot thing was like, you know, I could let you go. He's like, he's like no, things are going to happen like they're going to happen. Yeah. You know, <laughs> uh-huh. you have no power about what, you know. Yeah. Anyway, so the chosen one, and then especially the how it works with fate and, and prophecy, you can explore really interesting issues about that touch on, you know, Big questions. Like our purpose in life, about the nature of free will. Mm-hmm. About, you know, are you actually special or, you know, is this just, you know, your role? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think those are why people love the, one of the main reasons people love these sort of chosen stories. And they stop liking when they stop touching these big questions, when they just become fill in the blanks. Yeah, or like like flavoring. Like they don't work well as flavoring. They they really don't. It really has to be kind of central to your to your character, to your story, or at least a, a central component. Yes, like it's it's there has to be some big ideas behind him. Now you read Aragorn, not Aragorn, Aragon. Aragorn is <laughs> a different thing. Aragorn is a completely different person. Yeah. Um, does that have a prophecy thing in it? I feel like when I watched the movie, it had... See, I was trying to remember. It's been a long time since I've read Aragon, and the main things that stuck in my mind about Aragon were the insane amounts of like attention to detail about the whole magic system <laughs> and about just descriptions I didn't really care much about. So I think I think there is some of that. I do believe he has. he's one of the last dragon riders, if I remember correctly. Okay. That, as you could tell, the book did not leave a lasting <laughs> impression on me. <laughs> it's it's a long book from a 15-year-old, as, as I've heard some people describe it, and it, it kind of shows. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, remarkable that that 15-year-old could crank that out. Don't yeah. get me wrong. But, but it has signs of... It has signs of that, yeah. yeah. Hmm. I'm trying to think if there's any big chosen one sort of story I've not looked at. That we've missed. Um, I'm glad you brought up Matrix. I hadn't thought of that when we were preparing for this. Yeah. I guess, in a sense, you could look at in Narnia. You've got the uh, sons of Adam, daughters of that's Eve. That's true. That's whole. They're all, all kind of called to be the the guardians of Narnia. And what's kind of interesting about that one is that they come in kind of just haphazardly and yeah. fulfill stuff. But uh-huh. there's also the sense that once the prophecy said that, oh, we need to get over here. Mm-hmm. You know, there's something with a stone table. There's something with care of parallel. Yeah. You know, and that's really can be really fascinating too when there's this kind of mystery around the like. The prophecy itself changes what the characters do. Hmm. There is an aspect of that, yeah. To a certain extent. Well, and I keep going back to the biblical allusions because yeah. I find it interesting. But a lot of people had completely different ideas about who Jesus was because of their interpretations of prophecies. Yeah. About who, what the Messiah would do and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, there is another interesting avenue you could go with in terms of prophecies and that kind of stuff. Like... A misunderstanding of what, well, I guess we we kind of touched on that, but people think it's going to be this and it turned out to actually be this. Yeah. And that biblical prophecy reminds me, I'm in First Samuel right now, is that you have an example there of both a chosen one with Saul that uh-huh. basically doesn't work. Doesn't work. Yeah, that's That true. he's like, here, here you go. And then just it just falls apart to pieces. I mean, the whole, all of Israel is a chosen one that basically <laughs> breaks down constantly, but keeps... Because of God. Keeps going. Keeps trudging along. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so there's a lot of interesting variations, even just in biblical literature, that I'm sure have been played with in fiction. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's... I'm not, I hadn't... When we started this, I hadn't really realized that we would be talking about the biblical connotations, but I guess that, that is where a lot of it comes from. Between... between or From religious con- connotations. I mean, obviously, from us, biblical, yeah. but I mean, Greek has all kinds of the fates, you know. Right. And can you defy the fates or not, and mm-hmm. that sort of stuff. I mean, because the Greeks have this much more uh, impersonal sense of fate. It's just kind of this wall. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and you're coming against it. Yep. And I guess maybe that's another thing with... Bad version of the chosen one basically is also added as a veneer of 
religion, of near of spirituality, mm-hmm. of, of otherworldliness. And it's very easy to see past that is, yeah. if it's done wrong. But. And, and I think that's, you know, like with wants, you know, the whole savior thing. At some point, just wears thin, but you're like, what does it still mean? You yeah. know, you already did your thing. You don't, you're not really more special than anyone at this point. Yeah. <laughs> you, you don't need to keep pulling out the savior card. You did your yeah. savior thing way yeah. back in, you know, season, season one. one. Yeah. <laughs> so, but. Okay. Uh, so uh, that's a pretty good uh, kind of roundup of various things of uh, chosen one, prophecy, fate, et cetera. And I guess like everything we say here, there's good ways to do it. I mean, most of the things that people get sick of, it's not because it's bad. It's because it's been done too often, too mediocrely. Mm-hmm. And it might be harder to do it well because we have so many stories now. <laughs> That's true. It is interesting when you think about like just the the backlog of, of, of pop culture, like yeah. all these stories that kind of influence the stories that come come out yeah. now. You There's a lot you can't get away with that you, that you used to be able to get away with. And just now. because people are so, they know the, they know the structure so well. Mm-hmm. And the thing is though, then some people, they always regret, I love these sorts of stories. Yeah. It just hits them because. Yeah, that's true. That's but, true too. You know, really, you know, I think we've got to include that chosen ones need to be vital to your story and or character. Mm-hmm. And seem to work best when they actually touch on some big theme, whether it's the common person finding a role or whether it's fate interacting with, you know, how, you know, predestination, predestination, that sort of stuff, or, Mm -hmm. you know, the weight of dealing with it, you know, those sort of consequence, the consequences of being chosen one. Are very interesting. Yeah. Or even just, you know, if we can identify with chosen one, so we can be in our own lives, be brought outside of mundane life. I Mm -hmm. mean, yeah, I think that's was probably much of the original reason it happened. I concur. That is our wrap-up of The Chosen One, and we will now go to our first soundtrack. Okay, I'm going to go with soundtrack first. My reasons for choosing this remakes today are twofold. One, this is from Chrono Cross, which Nick will be talking about in our uh, in our next section. I will be attempting to talk about coherently. <laughs> so that's the name of the game that it's from. The remixer is the Pancake Chef. <laughs> which, which is a wonderful name. <laughs> wonderful name. He hasn't been around. I, I checked. No, that's it. a lot of old stuff. He's, yeah, this is a very old one. And the second reason I picked it is because this song actually, listening to the song like way back in 03, I think, is what first gave me the germ of an idea for a yet-to-be-written story called Darian's Darian's? Oh, nice. Yes, it's inspired from this song, actually. It's uh, very somber and kind of... Darian is not... I wouldn't call him necessarily a chosen one, but he's... um, he has sort of an Esther-like role, I okay. would say, where you know he's kind of put in a... He's certain, forced into a chosen one. Yes, yeah, sort of. <laughs> put in such a position for such a time as this, yeah. as, as they say in Esther. So yeah, this is, uh, like I said, th- I've listened to this song for years. <laughs> so uh, nice. I'm glad to share it with you. This is Dubbing the Body.
All right, we're back. All right, I like that song. That was good. I can see how you get a story out of that. Yeah, yeah, it's very peaceful. You just had the right one. Moody. Yes, I know. <laughs> Someone reminded me of it not too long ago. I was like, oh, man, I mentioned it on, on the podcast like ages ago. It's and now in stone forever. Just <laughs> it, like it must be written. Finishing Stern Fred someday. <laughs> it was long foretold that <laughs> this story would be written. We'll see who finishes first, Tim. <laughs> Well, you are making progress on Stern I am Fred, making though, right? very slow progress, but if I can get, get in rhythm at this point in my life, it's just complicated. But if I can get a rhythm, I'm almost to where I think it'll start moving quicker and quicker towards the end. Cool. Close. But anyways, all right, we'll go on with our take on Tales. All right, so today we decided we're gonna, we've all played, uh, we all, everyone, you all, everybody know, Tim and I have played some <laughs> video games lately, um, well, old school really? ones. Yeah, <laughs> yes. And so we're going to just kind of go back and forth on this these. special gaming edition. Yes. Um, and Tim requested that I do my little rant, so. <laughs> yes, we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah, so anyways, here. Tim, why don't you start? Okay, so, you know, if you're not into video gaming, just kind of, you know, you might be interested in some of these, at least the stories anyway, and you'll get an idea of. At least Japanese are role-playing games. <laughs> yeah. And there's the reason we play, I play role-playing games, at least, is the stories are good. Are fun. Are yes. fascinating. Yes. Yeah. So a while back, Nick lent me his uh, Super Nintendo so I could finally play Chrono Trigger. Which is uh, one of the most famous of the Super Nintendo era. Role-playing games. Yes. Yeah. And we've used the music. We've played the music uh, remixes from it on here, the show. Uh, numerous times. Numerous times. Really yes. awesome. Because it is... Dare I say, legendary the the soundtrack, um, and so I won't say too much, a whole lot about Chrono Trigger. If you don't know the story, basically you are a uh, silent protagonist named Chrono. He gets up one morning, um, his mom shoes him out the door to the carnival. He meets a princess in disguise, as you do, and um, but then suddenly he and another friend of his, the three of them, they find a time uh, a hole in time, and they go time traveling. And in the process, through their various misadventures, they find out that in the future, namely the future of 1999 AD of that world, yeah. um, there's a monster that destroys the world. So from that point on, your goal is to prevent the monster from destroying the world, uh, the monster being named Labos. So this game, I enjoyed it a lot. It was fun. It has a simple story. Um, it has a very colorful, you know, SNES style atmosphere and stuff. It still took me about three years to finish, <laughs> I, I realize, in the end. Um, it's a game I really wish that I had played way back like when I was in college or finishing college, and I was still kind of exploring role-playing games yeah. for the first time. And I feel like, one, at that time, at that point, I would have had a lot more time on my hands yeah. to you know go through it. And two, I feel like at that time, it would have still felt very fresh and new, um, whereas me of today like i enjoyed the game a lot but at the same time it didn't really like wow me like say yeah. final fantasy 6 or some of the games that i was playing then where it was just like oh this is really cool you could do this in a, in a video game and a super nintendo thing and because i mean chrono trigger it's a fun sprawling adventure but it it doesn't really go that deep and like you, you don't have characters that like attempt suicide like in six yeah like in the six whole world or, doesn't like explode or yeah and you know. and not that like deep game meaningful games have to have these dark themes and i'm not saying that but chrono trigger is just a for the most part it's a pretty light-hearted romp yeah yeah it's you know you're traveling through time you know it's like uh back to the future in japanese anime <laughs> essentially yeah <laughs> with these little pixelated characters yeah um, so, I mean, I, I definitely enjoyed it. It's, uh, it, I probably still do have a, f a greater fondness for it than, say, Final Fantasy XII, yeah. which was just kind of there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it has some neat ideas, but this, I spent a lot more time. There was a lot more game content, and the color or the characters were not quite as memorable as all the characters even in Chrono Trigger yeah. are. Yeah, it, yeah, it's just a very vibrant game yes. in many ways. Very unique. Every, every time period is very different. And yep. So I was I was probably hyped a, a little overhyped yeah. about it going into it, but if you know kind of get a feeling for what you expect, I think uh, you can have a lot of fun. And I imagine if you play with your kids, Nick, you'll have a good time yes, exploring my, it with yes. them. <laughs> because I've been playing uh, various games with my kids. Like last year, I played Mar Super Mario sixty four, which was awesome, fun. 
Um, and it's just a lot more fun to play with the kids. They, they just love it, and they tell you to do things. And so what, what I, I find it great yeah. because like there's a certain age where you don't want to watch someone else playing video yeah. games. You want to play them. Yeah. But you you've got kids that are at, that are at the right age that they they want to they enjoy just watching yeah. you do it. And, and that's cool. And Phil would Phil would play occasionally on some of these things, but he he see, it's more fun to see me do cool things and stuff he can hardly you know, get done. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, yeah. But like, so we started playing Chrono Cross. I bought Chrono Cross when it came out. Now this is the sequel. This to is a sequel Trigger. to Chrono Trigger. Yeah. Yes, I bought it when it came out. But I love Chrono Trigger. I could never get past about six to ten hours because you lost interest, or it was uh, too difficult. Kind of both. It's very different than Chrono Trigger in its play style. Okay. I mean, you said this is a PlayStation game, right? PlayStation game. Um, I mean, it's still very colorful, but it, it when you first start, it seems like there's nothing except for some you know, random name stuff in relation to Chrono Trigger. Um, you have magic that's very different, fighting style is different. Is and it a then, turn-based system like Chrono Trigger? Yeah, except you actually go into uh, when you monsters walk around like they do in Chrono Trigger, but, but then you go into a, like a Final Fantasy type oh, okay. screen to fight, as opposed to just right starting it like in Chrono Trigger. That's one thing probably you couldn't do as well on PlayStation as opposed to Super Nintendo. Yeah. Anyway, but. Um, but part was the weight of trying to talk to everyone, and then there's so many characters and so much, and it just, it, I don't know, it, it didn't take. I kept meaning to, I'm like, it's supposed to be a good game, et cetera. So then my kids are there, and I, they won't let me talk to anyone. They're like, go and fight, or go to the next thing. <laughs> Which was actually really helpful in getting me over the hump in this game. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so all my, all my thoughts after this, I had to take with a disclaimer that I really didn't read much extra dialogue besides what's you need to. I uh-huh. didn't talk to many people in towns and do side quests. I think there was this giant quest about getting the mass moon that I didn't even know existed because it just we were just always racing the next thing because because your kids were forcing kid, you to. Like, and, which was <laughs> kind of fun. I I hadn't recently played a role playing game where I had the freedom to do that. I always I'm kind of a completist when I play by myself. I would talk to everyone and look in all the corners and click, make sure I can't do that. Or, right, right. Um, <laughs> so, anyways. Now, I, yeah, I, yeah. I want to preface this real yeah. quick in that uh, Nick went on this big <laughs> rant the other day about this, trying to explain the game. And, and me, as a long-term Kingdom Hearts fan, this was immensely entertaining <laughs> because of just the levels of yeah. complexity yeah. The, the game threw at him and okay. he was trying to figure so out. So I guess I'll start at the end. Okay. Here's my... Spoilers. <laughs> yes, don't... Yeah. So here's... There's a lot of things good about the game. But plot-wise, it was very disappointing in some ways. And I think, okay, you get to the last boss, which is Lavos again, even though your main characters don't know who Lavos is. It intersects very highly with Chrome Cross, Chrome Trigger, except none of your characters know any of these people, except, well, I guess Kid does kind of. But anyways, and you're at the beach right before you go to the last boss, and there's Chrono and the Princess and Luca from Chrono Trigger, Trigger mm-hmm. and they basically info-dump you. Right before you uh, go and talk, as if they're ba- they basically say, "Hey, all those questions you might have about the plot, here's some answers." And the thing is, that wasn't the first time it happened in the game. Repeatedly throughout the game, you get to a point, and then info dump about things that happened off screen, like all the coolest stuff in the game happened when you weren't there. <laughs> okay, and then if that had been on purpose, it, there might be something interesting to that. Yeah, and and the <laughs> but, thing is, the plot's very interesting. But you only got like the very like tip of the plot, which I guess is the point. My guess is the point is you come into this and you're doing the last 10% of this giant story and then you, you complete the story. Because the story goes, I don't know if I can remember, a little bit like this. Okay, so Lavos is destroyed in Chrono Trigger. Spoiler, but yes. Yes, <laughs> uh, hopefully if you beat the game. Yes. Anyways, there's this lady named Shala. Scala? Scala? I don't know how you say it. Sure. Go with that. Um, in 1200 <laughs> BC in Chrono Trigger, mm-hmm. who gets sucked in with Lavos at some point? I don't even remember. Yeah, they, yeah, some Lavos. Okay, anyways, at some point in the time, darkness beyond time, Lavos and Scala are melding into one entity. Okay, in Chrono Trigger, Chrono Cross, you don't know about Scala. I mean, they like, people talk about her and they talk about Lavos, but you've never seen them, you've never been interacted with them. Is there a journal in Chrono Cross? Like sometimes these role playing games, well, modern no, ones not have much like one. This is this okay. prophet guy. Well, Balthazar, the prophet from Chrono Trigger, he uh-huh. shows up and he just explains massive amounts of stuff occasionally. <laughs> okay. Um, but anyways, you go and your main story is: Hey, there's two timelines, Chrono Cross. You cross timelines because in one you died and one you didn't. Um, and then there's links 
leopard man guy is after you. And there's this lady named Kid, girl named Kid, who's uh, friends with you. Anyways, but what you find out eventually is that 10 years ago, in, in the one where you... No, not in the one where you drowned. Wait, yes. In the one where you drowned... Wait. <laughs> I'm so confused. Okay. In one of the plot lines, one of the two worlds... <laughs> And this is the other thing about the game. I'm going back and forth between worlds. I couldn't, and all you got, you know, characters. I'm like, I don't remember what world I met you in. <laughs> I just, you look the same. I don't know what I'm supposed to say to you. Which universe is this? <laughs> exactly. Again, if I wasn't playing my kids, some of that might have gone away. But um, in one timeline, you're on your fishing trip with your dad 10 years ago. You get injured. He goes into this, he finds his way into Chronopolis, which I'll explain later. And then, to, and you, when we get in Chronopolis with this magnetic storm, you don't see any of this. This magnetic storm that let down security, so you get in, and you get into this main room that hooks you up with the main fake computer, which has been, uh, Chronopolis was made in the future, and somehow got sent through a time experiment way back in the past. And in order to counteract the difference it made in time, the reptites from Chrono Trigger who died when Lavos came down, their future in a world where Lavos didn't come down got pulled into that one and they fought each other. And the, the future people who were living now in the past beat the reptites from the future, who, from the other timeline. This is all off, this is all <laughs> off screen, okay? And they, they, they subjugate them and they turn them, they, they take their organic computer and put in six dragons to make the six elements of the magic you now use. And then they make these fake cubes that uh, dictate how people live in this archipelago that didn't exist in Chrono Trigger, but was made by Chronopolis in order to, I don't remember what. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, and then what happens is because you're crying as a 10-year-old boy and there's a magnetic storm that's caused by Shala hearing you cry for help through time. She caused magnetic storm. The, the lights go down in this place. You sneak in. You touch the fake computer that's lived through all these things that's dictating how the people live. You then become the, only, the arbiter of time, the only one who can get in there. And then your father, because the fake computer doesn't like what you did or needs to find you back, get you back, or I don't remember, turns your father into your last worst enemy, which was this demon panther that was why you were hurt in the first place so your father becomes this links guy and then he's trying to uh save fate and you're trying to kill fate because the dragon has convinced you that you can help them and you shouldn't be doing fate and meanwhile links has this girl with him called harl they find out later is a seventh dragon who's double who also fell in love with you and uh, <laughs> And Kid, who's your friend, is actually a clone of Shala, who has this pen that whenever she's going to die, it, it sends her back in time. And she used to live with Luca, who's from Chrono Trigger, who you don't know because you don't know these people. Um, and almost all of this is said in giant info dumps. And what you get is you show up in the Dead Sea, you find Chronopolis, you see some ghosts of people, and then you kill the fake computer. Like, oh, wait, why did you do that? Because you just disturb all of time and space. And... So, my main problem with Chrono Cross is while the plot is highly intricate, um, <laughs> you don't actually, you're really not an important player in the plot except at the very end. You're basically the product of vast amounts of Balazar, this prophet of time, and Shala conning other, there's so many times like, well, fate was trying to do this, but the dragons actually were trying to do this, and then you did this, and like people just tricking each other like constantly, like, like yeah. ten cons, like haha! I tripled there. You know, I, I tripled uh -huh. crossed you. Um, <laughs> but you're basically the the last. You're, you're basically the product of this giant event uh, sequence of events that makes you special, so that you can use the Chrono Cross and kill Lavos for good and save Shala. So you get to the end of the game. You've never met Shala. Apparently, this person been hanging out with you is a Shala clone, but you don't know what that means unless you even watch Chrono Trigger, and she's not even that big of a character in Chrono Trigger, I don't think. I mean, she's important, but... She's important, but yeah, no, there's not a whole lot of screen time. And then, she has a great theme song. <laughs> you use the Chrono Cross, and you use the good ending. I mean, again, there's alternate endings when you replay it. Which, which, is, have not which done. there's alternate endings yeah. in Chrono Trigger, too. Um, which I haven't done either. You do the good Chrono Cross ending, you use the Chrono Cross, Shala comes off, 
and she's rescued. And then there's blocks of text of her talking to you about how uh, how fate kills some people, and but we live. And uh, and then there's and I'm just like I don't know what I don't have any emotional connection with any of this. And I think that was my big deal. And is that if I hadn't been playing with the kids, I might have gotten more of the details of the individual. Because like thirty characters you can get. That's an insanely huge party that you. Well, play. you only have three at a time. Well, yeah, obviously, but I mean, and they that's, all have that's even more than. Final Fantasy VI had like 12. Well, I played uh, Sukuden has 100. Really? Yeah, you get this tower and they all have little rolls in it. And you don't, you don't have the... A lot of them are just to make populate oh your tower. Okay. Um, so kind of cool. So they're not necessarily all that important. No. And I'm not sure... That, in Chrome Cross, well, it was fun to get new people and whatever. They all have little side stories and whatever. And I suppose that would add some to it. So I think there's a lot of complexity that if you dig deep, you can really enjoy. But it really felt like I was just skimming on the surface of something I didn't understand. I mean, they do this download after I killed the fake computer. And I'm like, I don't know what's going on. And I'm reading it to my kids. I'm like, guys, I, 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 I don't know. I really don't know. And then later on, they have no download. And like, they almost explained what happened like in the, the last time. In the previous download. I'm like, oh, okay, that makes a little more sense. Except there's seven dragon. I didn't, I just learned that the dragons were even part of this organic computer from, it just, <laughs> it's like, it's like seeing the very, very tip of the iceberg. And it was to me, I guess if you like just complication, it's interesting from an intellectual point of view, but it's really not engaging on a on a personal level. I didn't feel in the way I played it. Well, let me ask you this, and then we'll move on. Yeah, to that was a long. I, I had to do my spiel for Tim. He was <laughs> yeah. dying over here. That, that was that was really good. It was, <laughs> it was, uh, it's just amazing. But all that aside, the stuff in the game you did get to explore was it interesting? Yeah, it was. No, the 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 locales are fascinating. Once you got used to having so many people and the and the choices, it was quite an enjoyable game. When you got used to the different fighting style, what, the more you play style wise, the more you broke away from Chrono Trigger and got used to how it did its own thing. It was a neat game. I liked it. If I had more time and just a certain amount of time, I'd probably go through and try to do some of the stuff I did on the game plus. Mm -hmm. No, it was an entertaining game. It's it's just weird because on one hand, play wise, you had to break away from all the a lot of conventions of Chrono Trigger. But on the other hand, to really understand half the importance of the plot, you really need a deep knowledge of Chrono Trigger. Mm. So it's just kind of it's a weird thing to request, I think, that of is, a person. That is strange. It's interesting to imagine retirement homes in the future and all the video <laughs> gaming that will be going on with, you know, all, all of us uh, millennials and Generation Xers that uh, didn't, like, oh, I've been meaning to play yeah. this game for <laughs> 50 years. Now, I will say, in defense of the plot, I, I did read the person who made the, the plotting for Xenogears, and I think it's the same person or same team, said Xenogears was kind of like episode five of six. And so they kind of, you know, it's like the very uh. end of a era but you didn't because of the video game you didn't get the other eras and i think chrome Tr cross is just set up sort of that way that they made a huge amount of world bible stuff for it and then they you just got I, you a got, sliver of it you got to do a journey that got you to connect to all of it but you weren't actually important except the very last stage of it yeah which there's something too but it was not at all what i was expecting and it's mm. really complicated Interesting. Yeah. So, anyways, so I think you have one more game. If well, we have time. Well, yeah, we we got a little bit of time. Interesting contrast to the Chrono Trigger conundrum. Like I said, it took me three years. Yeah. I recently played Kingdom Hearts 3D Dream Drop Distance. That's get it 3D. Um, <laughs> dun, dun, dun. That took me like about oh two weeks, <laughs> <laughs> which is not to say that the game is short per se. And actually, there's still an optional boss I haven't fought yet or finished yet. But Kingdom Hearts is a one I'm a huge, big, longtime fan of it. Yeah. What do we call a fan of Kingdom Hearts? Do they have a nice name? I don't know that they do, actually. Okay. Uh, no, I don't think there's... You just heart the game. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> but the other thing is, it is a little easier to do in chunks, like, as opposed to, like, a role-playing game where, like, you don't know where you're going to wind up. It's like, well, yeah. you've got these Disney worlds that you know yeah. you're going to visit. So, you know, it's easier to, like, okay, I'll stop here or whatever. But Dream Drop Distance is on the 3DS, which I have to thank Aaron Murray for lending me. That is my sister's boyfriend's brother, who I don't know that I've even met in person, but he was kind <laughs> enough to lend, lend me his 3DS so I could finally play this thing. Because it's been out for like four years, and um, they're getting ready to do tricky thing about the Kingdom Hearts franchises that they, they've spread, they've they, put they games out. everything. Well, they put <laughs> games out on like 
six different systems. Okay. So unless you're a real gamer and, and already own all these things, it's really hard to play some of these. Now they've done some HD versions yeah. and they've compiled some of these for like, they, they did like two PS3 compilations. Okay. But if you want to be, and actually there's another one coming out in December. But if, <laughs> like I said, this game's been out for four years. If you want to interact with the Phantom at all, it's hard not to hear about certain things that happen. And this, there is this ongoing storyline with all these things. But anyway, so I finally played it. There is a lot to enjoy about it. Um, I would say, I would say it might be my third or fourth favorite in the series. The basic concept, if you don't know Kingdom Hearts, you know the main character Sora is wields this thing called a Keyblade. He goes around and helps protect Disney Worlds from various cartoonish monsters. Um, heartless, Norm. Well, well, heartless. It depends on the game. Yeah, that's true. It's usually heartless. That's the most common. The premise of the start of this one is that they they realize that one the main baddie of the series who is indirectly responsible for all the the final bosses of the series <laughs> um, is basically is about to be revived for Kingdom Hearts three coming out soon hopefully um, and so because Sora and his best friend Riku are essentially self taught Keyblade wielders. Uh, they wanted to make sure they're ready, they're trained, that they have the mark of mastery as to be a true Keyblade master or whatever. Um, and so they actually go out to, in the very first game, there's a bunch of worlds that had fallen to darkness that are apparently, some of them, most of them you, you rescued by the end of the game. A couple of them, some of them are still asleep. So uh, the goal at least is to go and rescue those few remaining worlds and, and in the process kind of earn your stripes as, as it is. Even though you've already technically saved the world a couple of times, the <laughs> universe a couple times. Yeah, you still, yeah, you still might not be good enough. Um, you're chosen, but you're not that chosen. It's pretty evident from the start that even after that setup, well, they, they tell the setup in flashbacks, which I was like, really? <laughs> when I first started the game, I was like, wait, what is going on? <laughs> it would have been easier if they had just, but by the end of the first world, you know at least, if you hadn't read the back cover, you know at least what, what's going on. <laughs> the back cover. Um, but at the same time, it's pretty evident at first that something is still not going quite according to plan, and you slowly get pieces of that toward the end. And this game was kind of divisive among a lot of Kingdom Hearts fans, I think, because of the ending. And I won't go into quite as... This is slightly spoilery, and it was a huge shock to me because this is something I'd heard before, but like it, the end basically involves this main, the main series of bad guys, Xehanort, who had apparently gone into the past and brought together 13 versions of himself <laughs> as to be, to be his own super evil team. Um, but it's like but, a doofusmurts plan. <laughs> and uh, apparently there's very strict rules for the time travel though. So to keep him from abusing it too much. So you're able to foil this massive thing by the end. But Again, lots of setup for Kingdom Hearts 3 in this thing, which in some ways, like, well, it sounds like it's a major tease. But at the same time, which it, it sort of is, but at the same time, when the game came out, it also sort of commemorated the 10th anniversary of Kingdom Hearts. Okay. And it was actually kind of cool in that you felt like, because Kingdom Hearts 2 came out in 2006, and the, the numbered titles are kind of the main. Yeah. Everyone's been waiting for Kingdom Hearts 3 for a long time. And a lot of these, the handhelds they've been doing in the meantime, a lot of people view as spinoff, even though they're not. They have some very important uh, elements to the ongoing plot. Um, but this, it was really fun to see them kind of incorporate a lot of these ideas and tie it all together. There were some scenes you've been waiting for a long time to finally see, like, two people. Oh, like, what would happen if these two characters met? And they met in this game, and it was really cool. And so there's a lot of fan-pleasing moments yeah. like that. Again, like I said, people complain about the ending because it's ridiculous, but Kingdom Hearts is kind of uh, known for its crazy, you know, yours Chrono Cross story plotline sounded kind of convoluted. Kingdom Hearts can be too, but yeah. it, it's not quite as much. You, you still feel more involved yeah. in the over, overall process. One thing I had forgotten to tie into Kingdom Hearts from our Chosen One discussion is that some people actually don't like because in the very first game Sora is sort of like set up as if he's the only Keyblade yeah. wielder like the Keyblade chose him and then they did a prequel game Birth by Sleep which I talked about the podcast a while back where they show that there are a lot more and that that there's actually this um, passing on ceremony and some people don't like that that Sora it made some people thought it made Sora feel like he was less special yeah. like he wasn't so you know again example and then other people like but I like that they kind of showed a deeper history here yeah. so Again, there's people. There's a backlash against chosen one stuff that some people still like it, some people yeah. don't. Like I said, overall, I enjoyed the game. The Disney Worlds 
were mostly pretty. Something interesting they did in this one is probably the fewest number of worlds in the Kingdom Hearts game um, for a game that had all new worlds. Yeah. Sometimes you get a couple of the games, they just had repeat worlds. But uh, all of them were new in this one, the fewest number, but they made each one huge. Okay. Like cool. a lot of the maps were like, not labyrinth in terms of like, you had to follow a lot of paths, but just in terms of like, man, there's a lot to navigate yeah. in this thing. My favorite one probably, and it wasn't even all that tied into the greater story, but the Fantasia world was awesome. Oh, that sounds cool. Yeah, because here's the interesting thing about this game. Sora and Riku, you play as both of them okay. at different times, but because they're in dream worlds, they both fall asleep. Like you have a, you actually have a dream gauge. Like after a certain period of time, the character you're playing at will fall asleep and then you start playing as the oh, other character. interesting. Yeah, it's kind of bizarre. Birth by Sleep, you played as multiple characters too, but you could choose to play like just all of one yeah. character storyline and then go to another character storyline. But this one kind of forced you to jump back and forth. But anyway, so Sora and Riku had completely different areas that they explored in the Fantasia yeah. world. And Riku's was all the Nutcracker um, <laughs> with all the nut the Nutcracker sequences yeah. from Fantasia. And then Sora's was, I can't remember the name of the pieces now. But in Fantasia, it's the one with all the Greek mythology okay, stuff. Yeah. So you like at first he's up in the clouds, and then there's an area with all the the colored trees and things cool. like that. And it's just really cool to explore. For one, just the area, and two, because they took out most of the sound. You know, usually whenever you're fighting stuff, you go ah, ah, ah. Yeah. They took out most of the sound effects in, in Fantasia, except for the music. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That would make sense. Yeah, it, it, it made total sense. But it was just it made it really fun to explore. So. Um, the bad guys weren't my favorites. The enemies, they were called Dream Eaters. I'd, Birth by Sleep had Unversed. Kingdom Hearts oh. 2 had Nobody's. Um, Heartless are usually kind of the default if you don't have one of these special ones. The Dream Eaters were like, I didn't care for them as, as much because they were basically like animals, but like with tie-dye colors. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's like not nearly as intimidating in my sense, but I guess it kind of goes with the fanciful dream yeah. motif. But. Interesting. So anyway, they're quick spent on all that. All right. So that's more gaming stuff than we've talked about in quite a while. Yeah. Well, we waited a while and we've both actually played something. So, yep. so uh, yeah, please, if you play Chrome Cross and you want to correct my uh, my <laughs> my explanation, go for it or add to it. But yeah, uh, I Provide guess. Provide a Cliff Notes version, <laughs> My thesis on Chrono Cross. <laughs> so, at, at some point, I'm. I, I like I said, I loved your hearing you talk rant about all that because at some point, I've always wanted to do like a uh, mythology of Kingdom Hearts. I know you said that it's quite complicated. Yeah, I mean, it's you can easily skim the surface and just get by, but if you. Like, even the time travel things, people are like, why do you have to bring time travel? It's like, well, you know, the ability to stop time has been one of your magic spells since the first game. Yeah. So the weird thing about Kingdom Hearts is they seem to kind of retcon a lot of stuff in. But at the same time, if you look, it's like, well, but that sort of kind of... It's at least in the, it at least doesn't seem outside the universe they've created. Yes. yes. Even they retcon it constantly. It's, it's not unlike Lost in that a lot of times what they tell you is going on at the beginning of the game is not what is actually going on. By game... By that game or the next game? Yes, <laughs> exactly. That whole last game, you were doing, you weren't doing that. <laughs> so, okay, awesome. Well, I guess we should probably wrap this up. Yeah, probably. Was, what? See that cloud over there? It kind of yeah. looks like a buffalo. Looks yeah. like it's coming That's this way awfully fast. Weird. You think it's friendly? Hopefully. Huh? I, I th man, I could have swore I just saw some kid hang glide off of it, but. We probably, we've, we've seen weirder things. We've seen weirder things, but it probably means it's time for us to go. Yeah. Okay, good. Well, um, I guess we'll do... Uh, oh, yeah, we should give our contact info. Exactly. So uh, you can always see us at derailtrainsofthought.blogspot.com. I know most of you probably go to the iTunes or Stitcher or YouTube to watch it, but if you want to leave us a nice comment, come to our, our blog. And let us know what we got wrong. And uh, please uh, leave comments uh, slash, uh, or not comments, reviews on iTunes. That would be very helpful. That would be awesome. And tell your friends because uh, we've most of the people who've listened to it have heard it from other people who said, hey, this is worth listening to. Yep. We're one of those weird specialty things that like you don't know that you want to listen to us until you start listening like, to us. Where were you all my life? <laughs> well, we were on iTunes. Um, so you can email us at derailtrains at gmail.com. Yeah. I don't know. If we, do you ever check the email? It's been a little while. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, so my for my soundtrack, I had to go with some Legend of Zelda, uh, Link to the Path, which we've not done ah. that game. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, Link is pretty much your, your chosen hero sort of guy. You kind of keep fighting the same fight over and over yeah. again throughout different... Kind of like the Avatar, actually, in some ways. Yeah. So, um... Fan theory. <laughs> Link is actually the Avatar of Hyrule. Doom, doom, doom. That'd be kind of awesome. Okay, anyways, the title of this remix is The Goddess Gets Groovy Tonight. <laughs> uh, it's remixed by Garrett Williamson and Sir Jordanius, who was also responsible for a nice leg last time. Did and he give birth to nice legs? Yes, he does. Okay. I guess so. It's very he's a weird creature. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't love that one. I, I knew as soon as I said it, something it wasn't gonna go well. <laughs> um but anyways, it's it's a funky little song and I hope you enjoy. Awesome. And I guess we'll see you later. All right, until next time, this is Tim. This is Nick. Bye bye.